Imagine this. A girl is running alongside an older boy. You can tell from their rumpled school uniforms that they are young. They are distraught. Hysteria etched on their faces. The girl's hands are flailing wildly in the air. The older boy cradles in his arms the lifeless body of a younger boy. The younger boy has blood spilling out of his mouth. His school uniform is splattered with bloodstains. What you have just imagined is a picture that was captured by Sam Inzima on the 16th of June 1976. It is an image of innocence and victimization. The younger boy was Hector Peterson, the first of many casualties of the Soweto uprising. At the time of his death, he was 13 years old. I'm Winifred Orby and this podcast is a case study of the Soweto Student Uprising of 1976. This was a tragic but pivotal moment in the eventual overthrow of apartheid. The events that took place showed that young people had a voice and that they had the power to be political actors in their own right. Let me begin by providing some context to the Soweto Uprising. While racial segregation in South Africa dates to its earliest colonization, the system of apartheid was first introduced as an official government policy by the government in 1948. It was a system based on white supremacy and the repression of the black majority. Under the system of apartheid, the government passed numerous laws which affected every aspect of the lives of black people in South Africa. From the type of jobs that they could have, to where they lived, to the education that they received. I had a chance to talk to Dr. Matt Graham, a professor at the University of Dundee, and he shared his perspective of the apartheid regime with me. So apartheid, uh, which loosely translates as apartness or separateness, is a formalised version of institutionalised racism, subjugation and oppression. So apartheid was designed to benefit the, the white minority, which made up about, at the, at the time, about 10% of the uh, South African population. And it was designed to ensure that the white population had the best access to health, education, welfare, jobs. Basically, from cradle to grave, the apartheid state helped the white minority. But this was at the expense of everybody else. So the black majority, uh, the Asian population, the coloured population were essentially relegated to migrant labour for, for the white population and, and, and the businesses. And, uh, and also their interactions were, were, were basically met by um, levels of, of extreme uh, racism, both uh, informally but also formally. And so, yeah, apartheid was uh, essentially a, a crime against uh, against humanity in that sense. Um, where the black population were almost exiled in their own in their own country. One of the most offensive laws that was passed under the apartheid government was the Bantu Education Act. It put in place a system that was deeply unequal. White minority had huge amounts of spending in comparison to black youngsters. Um, one statistic I saw is that. Um, that every black child had about 25 US dollars spent on them a year, whereas in comparison it would be about, you know, well over um, 200 for the, the white youngsters. And also bearing in mind there's a much smaller number of white, white children than there, are, than there would have been black children as well. Bantu Education offered four years of basic education and literacy skills to prepare young black people for semi-skilled work in industries. The government's wish was to protect white people from African competition in the labour market. The system was designed to keep them in servitude. One of the apartheid ministers once, uh, you know, once said that, um, you know, the black, the black population, they are um, 
uh, hewers of wood and drawers of water. And what is the point of giving them education when that is their role in life? And that demonstrates the way in which the apartheid state looked upon the black majority. In the townships, conditions were worsening. Only one in three houses had electricity. Poverty was deepening. The unemployment rate was at nearly 20%. But the immediate trigger for the uprising came when the government announced that starting the following year, black students would be taught half their subjects in Afrikaans. Nunik Durhin, a South African history professor and author, explains why this shift in policy outraged the black students of Soweto. Now the government wanted to insist that half of the subjects in all schools should be taught in Afrikaans. What this meant was that the majority of people in South Africa, meaning black people of African descent, who don't speak Afrikaans, would now be forced to be taught in Afrikaans. Now, there were two fundamental problems with this. The first was that by this time, uh, and throughout the 20th century, Afrikaans had become the language of the white oppressor. Right, the Afrikaner government. So for black people in general, but young black people in particular, being forced to learn in Afrikaans was a political affront. Right? The idea that the language of the oppressor would be forced on them was something that most black people simply didn't want to accept. Secondly, They saw education as a means to progress personally, as a means to advance themselves. They had dreams to become scientists, to become teachers, to become doctors, to become lawyers. They were at schools, even in Soweto, where conditions were very poor, where they were taught by very smart, dedicated teachers that education was an important way of getting out of the oppression that they experienced. And they had dreams and hopes, like the young people have across the world. What the imposition of Afrikaans meant to them was that these hopes and desires that they had would be suppressed again, because they wouldn't be able to achieve educationally what they could achieve because of the intelligence, the skills that they had, because they would now be forced to be taught in Afrikaans and write exams in Afrikaans. For them, this was a way of undermining their aspirations to become better people through education. So now you see that the young black people of Soweto were facing multiple levels of oppression. They were ripe for unrest. a mass demonstration of about 15 to 20,000 Soweto school children began their march towards Orlando Stadium. The protest was meant to be non-violent. 
The plan was for marches across various schools in Soweto to converge in Orlando Stadium and proceed to the regional offices of the Department of Bantu Education to deliver a memorandum reflecting student grievances. The slogans on their placards were simple and to the point. Down with Afrikaans. Afrikaans is an oppressive language. Abolish Afrikaans. To hell with Afrikaans. They decided on a very clear plan as to how they would march from the different parts of Soweto to the central stadium in Soweto. And what you have in, you know, from say between 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock, literally tens of thousands of students streaming out of the schools and they were singing uh, pop songs, right? <laughs> they were singing hymns, they were joyous, uh, they were in a celebratory mood. Like I said, it was meant to be a non-violent protest. But what happened next was utter chaos. By mid-morning, the students encountered the police who were determined to take back control of the streets. By marching in the streets, the students were claiming the township as their, as their space, as their political space, as a space where they could enact emancipatory politics. But the streets were always, from the point of view of the authorities, spaces that they controlled. And the way that the townships were designed was to ensure that the police could control the lives of people. So that public spaces, particularly the streets, were the spaces that were always contested, but were under the control of the police. And here the students were saying, no, we are marching, we're taking control of our spaces. Right? We are transforming these Villacazi Street, it's the most famous street in, in Orlando and probably in Soweto. The police simply couldn't let that happen, and so they let their dogs loose. They began to shoot live bullets and tear gas into the crowds. Uh, many of them were scared. They never smelled tear gas. In fact, when the police first shot tear gas into the crowd, the majority of kids simply didn't know what was happening. It was only when they realized that their eyes were burning, their nostrils were burning, their mouths were bitter, that they recognized that something was going on. They didn't know what to do with This was a new experience to them. The crowds broke out with students fleeing in all directions, to the rugged bridge and into alleyways. Some students began to fight back by picking up stones, but it was an unequal battle. Stones versus bullets. It was meant to be a peaceful protest. The police chased the young black protesters into the townships, shooting many of them in their backs. When the students heard what had happened to young Hector Peterson, there was a fundamental shift in the mood of the students, from celebration to anger. They were so incensed with anger. As the students dispersed into the townships, they began to attack symbols of apartheid police stations, bear holes. They burnt down any institution that was established to monitor and control black people.
events that took place on the 16th of June resulted in a widespread revolt that spread across the country, from Johannesburg to Pretoria to East London and Cape Town. It inspired numerous youths from other townships to stage riots in solidarity with the Sowetan students. The police's intervention, its violent, murderous intervention in the morning of June 16th, 1976 very quickly transformed the consciousness of tens of thousands of young black people in Soweto and then the rest of the country that in order for them to rescue their education as individuals, as a society, they came to the conclusion that it would require a fundamental change in the system. It would require overthrowing the apartheid system. And what you then had over the succeeding days, weeks and months was that the demand for a better education system uh, immediately became associated with the broader demands of getting rid of apartheid, better housing, uh, better wages, etc., etc. So you have the, uh, the, the sort of coming together uh, of these different demands that came out of the experiences of black people as a whole. So it was not only about education, but also about a set of conditions and experiences of, of, uh, of black people, and ultimately uh, about the system. Hundreds, if not thousands of young black people said, we prepare to die for freedom. There's nothing that you can do that's going to stop us. Out of Soweto rose a new generation of activists and schools became the sites of struggle. For the first time in history, no prominent politician had been featured in the protests. None of the black political parties could claim credit for the aftermath of the uprising as the students had acted autonomously. The, the problem is that there, there really weren't many prominent politicians um, able to operate within South Africa at this time. Um, you know, the major, the, the, the major leaders of the ANC and the Pan-Africanist Congress are, are in jail or in exile. And in the build-up to Soweto, one of the, the striking things is the complete absence of the established liberation movements, such as the African National Congress. I, I think that the, uh, the established movements, though, appreciated the need to get the young on side. The problem was that, that due to their own positionality and also the constraints put forward by the apartheid state, there was very little opportunity for them to do it. And so the students began to take matters into their, into their own hands. And, they, and this allows them to become uh, the forefront of, of the protests and also uh, take a, a leading um, position in taking the struggle to, against the apartheid state further in the late 1970s and, and into, the into the 1980s. This was their moment. The children had earned their place at the table. Up until this point, there had been a halt in the liberation struggle. Now you had teenagers issuing press statements while politicians and civic leaders took a back seat. This was their moment, inspired by the teachings of Steve Biko and the Black Consciousness Movement. Young Black people had come to recognize their inherent dignity and self-worth. Now, Black Consciousness is absolutely crucial to understanding um, some of the things behind Soweto because black consciousness really is about it's, it's about an idea it's a sense of being and a, a philosophy about how you should should think about yourself 
Now, the apartheid state, through uh, its actions and also through the education system, say, subjugated and oppressed the black majority. Now, black consciousness really argued that students should, uh, not, not, not just students, but, but all black South Africans should take pride in themselves and that, they should, and that the only way that they could really uh, free themselves, first of all, would be to free themselves from the constraints of, uh, of the apartheid, the apartheid um, state. So this is basically a social movement for both political consciousness, but also um, psychological liber liberation. Steve Biko, who becomes the, the kind of the, the leader of black consciousness, I mean, says, you know, argued many, many very pertinent and insightful things. But I mean, one of his one of his most famous quotes is that the, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. It was the first real indication of the internal struggle that was to come, a pivotal moment in South African history, which came about when young children assumed their voice and challenged the world around them. Memorialised as National Youth Day in South Africa, it continues to teach a powerful lesson to today's youth. And so I think yeah, people across the world can demonstrate that, that, that students can mobilise around particular issues. Again, you know, in South Africa, that has happened over the last couple of years. Um, but it also shows that that young people have a voice and have and have an opportunity to to be political actors in their own rights. You know, often the young generation, the younger generations are are ignored by mainstream politicians or um, not given the, the level of um, the level of interest that they probably should deserve. Um, and so um, by protesting around particular issues, Soweto shows that young people can have an effect.